scripture today comes from Psalm chapter 16. Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. All right, happy Easter, everyone. Um, whether it is your first time ever stepping foot inside church or your first time back in a very long time or you come every week, I, I want to give a warm welcome uh, to all of you at our church today. Uh, my name is Aaron, and I am one of the uh, pastors at Exilic. And a few months ago, my family went on a vacation. And as we were returning home to the States and flying over the Atlantic, we experienced some turbulence. Now, I don't know if you've experienced turbulence before, but typically when you're experiencing it, it's what, 20 seconds? Our turbulence, 20 minutes. Imagine being on a roller coaster for 20 minutes, and that's what it felt like. Drinks were splashing all over the place. My wife on my left, vomiting in a bag the whole time. The woman to my left, right, she had her hands on the window and the wall of the plane, screaming like we're going to die. Like, any, look, we're dead, we're dead, like screaming. The woman directly in front of me, both hands in the air, praying to God out loud. I'm not kidding. The dude on my right, sitting right next to me, looked at me and he goes, I don't know about you, but I'm scared as expletive. <laughs> Have you ever felt unsafe before? This past Tuesday, by now all of us know what took place in Sunset Park. I was watching an interview of uh, a person that was near the shootings that took place and she said, this is crazy. Like, like, this happened in broad daylight. This didn't happen in the middle of the night. This happened in broad daylight. As my wife and I, we were coming uh, to the Stewart Hotel for our Good Friday service on the train, I noticed that um, she, was, she was hugging my arm, like, tighter than normal. And I thought, wow, we're, we're still in the honeymoon phase of our, <laughs> our, our marriage after all the years. And then it dawned on me... Um, she, she was scared. I, truthfully, I was scared too. I don't know how you cannot be scared taking the train now. I mean, like, where do you, where do you even stand on the platform now? How, like, how hyper are, alert are we now when we take the train? In addition to all of this, there's an, an uptick in AAPI hate. You've all seen the videos. You may have experienced it yourself. This is a reality for the women in our community in particular. Uh, in addition to all of that, there's a war. There's another new variant. Have you ever felt unsafe before? Have you ever felt scared? The author of this Psalm, David, knows what it's like to face threats and danger. He knows what it's like to feel unsafe. Goliath wanted to kill him. His own king, Saul, tried to kill him. His archenemies, the Philistines, they wanted to kill him. 
If there was ever a person that knew what it was like to feel unsafe, it was David. And yet this is what he says in verse 1. Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I love this word refuge because it's this idea of safety, an oasis. When you feel unsafe, what is your refuge? Maybe for you, your, your refuge is video games. Maybe for you, your refuge is just trying to distract yourself from the world and just scrolling mindlessly through social. Maybe it's the black hole of K-dramas. Maybe it's, it's having another drink. For you, what is your refuge, your oasis when you feel scared and afraid? The poet and civil rights activist Maya Angelou once said that she found her refuge in music. And Angelou would say that when she felt unsafe, she would, she would turn music on and she would curl herself up in between the space of the notes. Where do you find refuge? The British philosopher Bertrand Russell, in his very iconic essay, Why I Am Not a Christian, says that we should not find refuge in God, but we should find refuge in science. And this is what Russell says. Religion is based, I think, primarily and mainly upon fear. It is partly the terror of the unknown and partly, as I have said, the wish to feel that you have a kind of elder brother who will stand by you in all your troubles and disputes. Fear is the basis of the whole thing. Fear of the mysterious, fear of defeat, fear of death. Fear is the parent of cruelty, and therefore it is no wonder if cruelty and religion have gone hand in hand. It is because fear is at the basis of those two things. In this world, we can now begin a little to understand things and a little to master them by help of science, which has forced its way step by step against the Christian religion, against the churches, and against the opposition of all the old precepts. Science can help us to get over this craven fear in which mankind has lived for so many generations. Science can teach us, and I think our own hearts can teach us, no longer to look around for imaginary supports, no longer to invent allies in the sky, but rather to look to our own efforts here below to make this world a better place to live in instead of the sort of place that churches in all these centuries have made it. So where does Russell find his refuge in Oasis? He finds it in science. Now, I am not here to knock science at all. Okay? Christianity is not antithetical to science. I want to be very clear about that. Who is Dr. Fauci's boss? Francis Collins. Francis Collins is a devout follower of Jesus. There is nothing antithetical about Christianity and science. But one thing I do want to say is that over the past hundred years, which is when this essay was written, I would say generally speaking, humanity has found its refuge and oasis, uh, oasis in science. But one of the things that I find interesting about us as modern people more than ever before is that we are now more skeptical of science and technology. Like the CDC? Vaccines? Mass? Like we are more skeptical of science than ever before. In addition to all that technology, whereas you know, we thought that technology would help with the progress and advancement of society, we're also very skeptical of, uh, 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 of technology. Like why does Alexa know so much about me? Like why, why do I always feel that technology is invading my privacy? In addition to all of that, study after study shows that 
Technology is one of the primary reasons for all of our mental health issues. So let me ask you again, when you feel unsafe, where is your source of refuge? Is it in your education? Is it in the academy? Is it in Joe Rogan, Jordan Peterson, Oprah Winfrey, Elon Musk? The goodness of humanity? Where is your source of refuge? David says he takes his refuge ultimately in God, and he explains why in verses 9 to 10. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. Last year, I had the opportunity to attend a seminar at a conference, and the speaker uh, asked this question. And, and the audience, you know, was about the size. Uh, the age was pretty young, but he asked this question. He said, how many of you here are taking any kind of meds to manage your pain, sickness, illness, or disease? And I thought because the room was relatively young, maybe 25% of us. To my surprise, almost half the room raised their hands saying that they were taking some kind of med. Now, this is a rhetorical question, but if I were to ask the same question to us today, how many of you are taking some kind of med to manage pain, sickness, illness, disease? It would not surprise me if close to half our room here today raised their hands saying that they did. Okay, and so what that means is that no matter how hard we all try to take care of our bodies, there is a sense in which our bodies are slowly decaying. Therefore, what that means is that our bodies are communicating to us a story about life and death. Okay. Now, in secularism, the way that you interpret this story is that you are nothing but a clump of cells. You are nothing but a sophisticated chimpanzee that can now build Teslas, but eventually you are going to decompose and you will decay, and then you will no longer exist ever again. The physicist Stephen Hawking says this, I regard the brain as a computer which will stop working when its components fail. There is no heaven or afterlife for broken down computers. That is a fairy story for people afraid of the dark. So the analogy that Hawking makes is our bodies to a computer. So let me make a similar analogy. Imagine you're like a phone. We all have phones. Start to charge it up to 100%. Eventually, that phone, that battery drains. Once it hits 1% to 0%, it shuts down. And similarly with our bodies. Start with 100% or so, but eventually our batteries drain. But the only difference between your body and a phone is that a phone, you can charge up again. You can power it up again. Your bodies, within secularism, you cannot. And so the story that secularism tells is, is about life and death and then kaput. But the story that Christianity tells is vastly different. In Christianity, our bodies don't decompose. In Christianity, our bodies recompose. This is why David is able to say, my body rests secure because you're not going to ditch me or abandon me to the realm of the dead. And so what David is saying here is that our bodies are not just biological, 
but they are theological. Our bodies are telling us a story not only about life and death, but our bodies are communicating to us a story about life, death, and life after death. And the reason for that, according to David, is because you will not let your faithful one, Jesus Christ, see decay. In Romans chapter 8, uh, Romans chapter 6, verses 8 through 9, it says, Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. And what these verses are ultimately pointing to is the resurrection. And I love the Greek word for the resurrection because it's a picture word which literally means to stand up or to raise up. In other words, Jesus was not a dead man walking so much as he was a resurrected man walking. And so the logic is this. If Jesus stood up and walked out of the grave, one day you and I, we will stand up and walk out of the grave as well. So here is the most important question that you can ask on this Easter Sunday, and it is this. It is not whether Jesus really lived and died, because every credible historian, religious or not, every credible historian believes that Jesus really lived and really died. But the question that we have to ask ourselves is not whether Jesus lived and died, but did he die and live? That question can change our eternal destiny. Oftentimes, people say not to fear death because it's just a natural part of life, the circle of life. But Jesus says, don't fear death because I am the life. So when you think about death, it is not a full stop period in your life. But when you think about death, it is nothing but a comma. There's so much more of your story that is left to be written. So it is on this Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, that we do not read the obituary of Jesus so much as we read the obituary of death. Jesus Christ has brought about the death of death. But the resurrection not only gives us comfort and security and refuge for the future, but the resurrection also gives us a sense of refuge in the present moment as well. Just ask any of our brothers and sisters in Ukraine. Death is so tangible for our brothers and sisters there, but where death is tangible, there the resurrection is tangible even more so. And David, David says this in verse 8, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. So my, uh, going back to my wife who was vomiting on the plane, she also uh, took a business trip to the Bay Area uh, a few weeks ago, and she uh, went on a boat ride in the Bay. I don't know if you've ever done that before, but it, it's super rocky and shaky. She went on that boat ride for three hours, and literally her head was down the entire time because she felt like, she was car sick for three hours, the nausea and everything. So what was happening is everything around her, outside of her was shaking because everything outside of her was shaking, everything inside of her was shaking. So we made a pact, a Dramamine pact. Going forward, whenever you get on the plane, get on a boat, you're going to take Dramamine. This little pill will give you unshakability when everything else around you is shaking. And this is what David is saying about God. He is our Dramamine. When everything around us is shaking, 
there is a poise and a confidence about us so that we will not be shaken. Why? Because he's at our right hand. This phrase, right hand, is super interesting because it appears over 100 times in the Bible. And there's all sorts of meanings because it appears so much. So on the one hand, it means power. Jesus resurrected from the dead and sits at the right hand of God. So it signifies power, authority, honor. But this idea of the right hand not only signifies power, but it can also signify proximity and presence as well. So, for example, in Isaiah 41, For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not. I am the one who helps you. So we've all heard the expression, right hand man. And that's similar, like, I got your back, I'm by your side. This is what Jesus is saying here. I hold your right hand. So you don't have to be afraid. And we say this ad nauseum at our church, but what is the most frequent command in the Bible? Is it love other people? Interestingly enough, even though it's the greatest command, it's not the most frequent command. Is it come to church, read the Bible, pray? No, it is not. The most frequent command in the Bible is fear not. I find that interesting that that is the most frequent command because, I mean, it makes you think, like, why, why that? I think a part of it is because deep down in our cores, if we're all very honest, there is a part of us in which we all can kind of admit that we're a little bit of a scaredy cat. There is so much danger that is out there uh, in, in the world that we live in. And yet he reminds us, I hold your right hand. The same way I hold my kids' hands when we cross the street, cars whizzing by, bikes whizzing by, people walking 100 miles an hour, I hold their hand so that they can feel a sense of safety. This is what God is saying here. I am by, I hold your right hand. Now you might say, I don't don't feel that though, like truthfully. Like if he's there, I do not feel that. So how do I make sense of this? Well, look look at what David says in the beginning. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. And what David is saying here is that he has a hyper alertness and awareness of his presence. So could it be in this relationship, is it possible for us to actually say, well, maybe then it's not him. Maybe it is me. Maybe I am the one that that does not keep my eyes on him all the time. And so I'm not aware that he actually is by my side when he really is. When I hear the phrase, keep your eyes on something, it's hard not to think about sports. When you're up at bat in baseball, what's... What do you have to do? You have to keep your eyes on the ball. When you're driving, what do you have to do? You have to keep your eyes on the road. You can't look and be distracted by your phone. And so what we have to learn how to do is we have to retrain ourselves with the ability to focus when everything else is distracting us and pulling our attention away. Okay, so Microsoft did a study a few years ago. They discovered that goldfish have an attention span of nine seconds. What they also discovered is that human beings have an attention span of eight seconds. (laughs) What that now means is that we have an attention span lower than goldfish. think Think about that for a moment. So I want you to imagine for a moment your attention span is like a glowing ball. What that means is that this glowing ball every eight seconds goes from here to vroom over here, to vroom over there, to vroom over there. Every eight seconds your attention is going from place to place, and it causes, as, as Kierkegaard would say, a sort of dizziness that takes place. 
And so we have to retrain ourselves with literacy, uh, literacy skills um, and, and learning how to be able to focus on certain things. So we have to take digital Sabbaths. We have to turn off our alarms, our, our beeps, our notifications. We have to practice what we consume, why we consume it, when we consume it. Is it the best thing in the world sometimes to look at the news first thing in the morning or social first thing? Maybe not. There is a fine line between being informed and being overwhelmed. My fear is that we cross this line far too often to this other side. So you and I, we are daily taking a master class on being distracted. And so we have to ruthlessly untangle ourselves from that and relearn what it's like to take a master class in following Jesus. Otherwise, I'm afraid to say you will be shaken. You will forget that God is by your right hand, even when he is holding it. And so we have to constantly have new rhythms uh, in our daily uh, lives and in uh, our daily weeks as well. This, coming out to this, is one of the ways to practice that. So let me, let me end uh, the way that I, I began the sermon with the turbulent plane ride. As a lover of philosophy and theology, one of the things that interests me most is how people behave when they are faced with their own mortality. It's like fascinating to me. And when I think about all the people on the plane, there are many different groups of people, but let me just name three for our purposes today. First group of people, people panicking. Like, no hope, we're screwed, we're dead. Like the dude on my right, <laughs> cursing the entire time. So the people panicking. Second group of people, my daughters. You know what they were doing when uh, the plane was bouncing up and down? They were watching Aladdin on their iPad. <laughs> <laughs> they had no clue what was taking place. They were so distracted, or as Neil Postman would say, they were amusing themselves to death. They were so distracted by what was taking place, they did not realize that the Grim Reaper was like right here. <laughs> and my fear is that sometimes we also look like my daughters. You know what ostriches do when there's a, a tiger about to devour them? They don't run away. Ostriches just bury their head in the sand, out of sight, out of mind. Meanwhile, there's a crouching tiger that is like looking at their rear end, ready to devour them. This is how we live. But there's a third group of people. And uh, on that same flight was one of our elders, Will, who is um, a cousin uh, to me. And um, so I looked back to see how Will was doing. He also, my nephew is uh, Owen, one years old, and I, I wanted to check on his wife, Shirley, to see how they were doing. But as I looked back at Will, I was also looking back at him to see how he is like responding to the situation, right? People screaming, like people cursing, drinks splashing everywhere, my wife vomiting, like, like, how is, how is Will doing? And if you know anything about Will, he's like one of the most cerebral people you'll ever meet. He's also, he also hasn't slept in like 18 months because of his kid. So he's tired. But when I looked at his face, we, we didn't even talk. We just made eye contact. But when I looked at his face, I saw someone that, was, that had poise. Even when everything around us was shaking, there was like poise, composure. Now, I don't know if it was because he was just so tired. <laughs> I don't know if it's just because it's, it's his natural temperament, but there is a part of me that would like to think that his faith had a little bit of an implication on the way that he reacted. What we believe about tomorrow shapes the way 
we live today, does it not? And so I would like to think that our faith plays a little bit, not just with regards to our future, but how we handle our present moments. He is our refuge, our fortress in the midst of distress uh, that, we, uh, that we all face. And all you have to do to have this poise in your life is to simply trust Him. Faith is not just about mental assent or information, although that is a part of it. Our faith is not blind. Our faith is 20-20. We clearly know what we believe in, do we not? So faith, half of it is information. You know what the other half is? It's a wholehearted trust. Charles Blondin was an acrobat that would often tightrope across Niagara Falls. Sometimes he would do so on stilts. One day as a crowd, large crowd assembled around him, he said, who thinks I can wheelbarrow someone across the thunderous waters of the Niagara Falls along this tightrope? And everyone's like, yes! And he goes, who wants to volunteer? Silence. <laughs> like, no one. Like, they had information about Charles Blondin, the acrobat. They had information about him, but they were not willing to entrust him with their life. Faith is not just about mental assent or agreement. It's also about a wholehearted trust. Now, I realize that relinquishing control of our lives, our precious lives, can be a very scary thing. You may have done that before with other people in your life romantically, and that trust was broken. I realize relinquishing control of your life can be a very scary thing. But here we have someone that is not only willing to die for us, but has died for us and loves us tremendously. And in him, we have a hope and a future. Or if I can paraphrase Simon Peter's words, Lord, to whom else shall we go? <laughs> Rogan, Peterson, Musk, Gates, Oprah, to whom else shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And my hope and prayer is that if your refuge is not that great, it can't protect you like you thought, my hope and prayer is that you would turn to him who is our ultimate source of refuge, even in the time of storm. And my hope is that if you're at least able to say today, I don't know if I believe in what you're saying, but I do wish it were true. That is good enough for me for today. And we are willing to walk alongside of you on this spiritual journey that you're going on to help you on this process because it is a process and a journey but we want to be by your side to help you navigate through the craziness that is this world uh, because he ultimately is our refuge. Let's pray together. Lord, although we know the exact date and time we were born, we do not know the exact day and time we will die. And that, in many ways, can be a very terrifying thing. We, to a certain degree, we should all feel unsafe because that date is unknown to us. But here's what we do know, that death is nothing but a comma, and that because of the resurrection, we have hope, not only for the future, but also in the present. Thank you for not only being our God, but our friend, our right-hand man who always walks by our side, through all the fiery storms and winds that we face. We love you, Jesus. In your name I pray.